Can you hear me? As I was seated on the end there and as the choir was singing, uh, I could feel vibrations in my seat. Now let me tell you what I thought about though, where my thoughts went with that. When Isaiah was given a vision in the temple, in Isaiah chapter 6, and he heard the seraphim praising God. When the voice of God was heard, the sockets that the posts of the door for the entrance of the sanctuary, the Bible says that they shook. <laughs> and so choir shake on. Praise the Lord for the choir. <laughs> My sermon this morning is entitled, Stinking Thinking. Stinking Thinking. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I will read in your hearing verses 1 through 5. Stinking thinking. Assuming that most of you have found the passage, it reads as follows. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat, stinking thinking. Shall we pray? Our Father which art in heaven. We depend upon you. We've depended upon you in the past. We depend upon you in the present. And so we pray that you would honor your word, glorify your person, and bless your people. Thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now take your Bibles. And let's turn to chapter 18. 
And I will begin reading at verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord did what? In the third year saying, go show thyself unto who? Now turn to chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. The northern kingdom of Israel was on the verge of complete apostasy. Baal worship and idol worship had enveloped the entire nation. And so in the hills of Gilead, there was a man by the name of Elijah. As he saw the overspreading apostasy, he began to pray to God because he was concerned. And he asked God that if it was his will that he would bring judgments upon his people to turn them from idol worship. And God answered his prayers. And so the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. And the Lord told this prophet that what he was going to do, that he was going to cause rain to cease on the earth for a period of three and a half years. And he was bidden to go and to speak to King Ahab. Now on the way, as he traveled night and day, he saw rich green foliage everywhere. He saw trees that crested the hills. The foliage was full. He saw fruit trees laden with luxurious fruit. As he walked on the path, his feet sank in rich green soft verdure. <laughs> and so in his mind, as he passed brooks that had never dried up, as he crossed rivers that were turbulent in their passing, as he leaped streams that had never been dry, it took an act of faith for this man of God to go to Ahab and tell him that at his word that it would not rain until he came again. The city of Samaria was set on a hill, and I'm talking about where the king's palace was, a 300-foot prominence. And there were hills on three sides, but on the south side, there was a cliff. And so as the palace crested this hill, in order to get to the palace, you had to go through three gates. Near the bottom of the hill, there was a wall made from yellow limestone. And there was a gate that was guarded by a retinue of soldiers. 
That was the first gate. Then as you scale the hill, there was another wall and there was another gate. That was guarded by a retinue of soldiers. And then finally, the wall that surrounded the palace was guarded by an even larger band of soldiers who were clad in garments of war. And so apparently unnoticed, Elijah passed them until he was standing in the presence of King Ahab, Jezebel, and a retinue of soldiers there to protect him. And as he stood in front of Ahab, the Bible tells us that Ahab sat on an ivory throne that was overlaid with pure gold. And so his palace, the walls of his palace was paneled with ivory. And they showed the relief of Egyptian gods. And so it was evident to anyone who went in the palace of Ahab what god they worshipped. But as Elijah now, in the garb of a prophet, according to 2 Kings chapter 1, the Bible tells us that his hair was long. He had a mantle over his shoulders and he had a leather belt around his waist and he smelled like the wilderness. And as he stood before Ahab, he raised his right hand in an oath (laughs) and I want to read it. Let's read it. And he said, verse 1, chapter 17, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now notice what the next instance, what God does. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Now, why do you think that God sent him here by the brook for a number of years before finally he went to Mount Carmel? You see, in order to test his faith, in order to build his faith, God sent him to a place of solitude. So before Carmel, there was the brook Cherith. And you will discover in your own life That before God sends us to Carmel, he will always send us in the wilderness where we might contemplate on him. And so God begins to teach Elijah in kindergarten steps how to depend on him. And so finally, the brook Cherith dries up. And as the pebbles are bleached white in the sun, the word of the Lord comes to him and he tells him to go to Zarephath. Now that was in the land where Jezebel came from. (laughs) And so if he had any misgivings, he didn't show it. And the Lord told him that he had commanded a widow there to feed him. Now, Elijah didn't doubt that fact because earlier God had commanded raven, a raven, to feed him twice a day. Now, listen to the health message here, twice a day. Because he was a man of this time, of little activity, he only ate two meals a day. I'm trying to say that the Bible teaches health reform. 
And if you do not work on a job that's physically demanding, you don't need three meals a day. Uh, And so by faith now, the raven brings him flesh and bread once in the morning, once in the evening. Now notice there was no in-between meals. And so now, when he gets outside of the city, he sees a widow woman gathering sticks. And so what does he ask her? He said, listen, fetch me a drink of water. (laughs) And as she turns to go and get him a cruise of water, he says, excuse me, um, and make me a morsel of bread. And you know the story. What did she say? She said, I was about to fix the last morsel in my house for me and my son, and then we were going to die. And the prophet told her what would happen. That the barrel would not be empty and that the cruise of oil would not diminish. And so every single day, Elijah the prophet, the widow woman, and her son feasted from the provisions that God had miraculously provided. And so what God was doing, listen now, he was grooming this prophet for Mount Carmel. You cannot go to Mount Carmel on an empty stomach. And I'm talking about a spiritual stomach. And so if you think somehow that you're going to be victorious in the battles with the devil and you have not feasted from the word, you're asking for disaster. And so the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, and the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, and the word of the Lord came unto him. Now, in order for him to receive the word, he had to be in a receptive spirit. And so just like the ravens brought him provision twice daily, God wants to bring us provision every day. But the question is, are we in the proper spirit to receive what God has for us? Because soon and very soon, they're going to pass a death decree in this country. And I want to tell you now, if the little lessons that God wants to teach his people, if we do not learn, we will not pass through the time of trouble unscathed. And so the name of the prophet, Elijah, whose God is Jehovah, we have to learn the lesson that our God is Jehovah. And so what he wants to do on a daily basis, he wants to prove to you and I who he is, that he is a God that can be trusted. And so what does Elijah do? He goes to Ahab, but he sees the prophet Obadiah. And he says, tell the king that I'm here and I want to see him. And Obadiah is fearful. He said, how can I go to the king and tell him that when we've been searching for you for over three and a half, almost three and a half years? He said, if I go to him, he's going to put me to death. And Elijah said, listen, go to him and tell him I want to see him. And so Elijah gains an audience with the king. Now listen and notice what Elijah does. The king is the king. (laughs) But Elijah commands him to summon all Israel and to meet him on the top of Mount Carmel. And so you know the story because I'm not going to go into the story. That's not where we are today. 
And so Elijah is victorious. He slays 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah by his own hand. And so then what he does, he goes on a prominence overlooking the ocean and he begins to pray. And so he tells his servant, do you see anything yet? And his servant comes back to him and he tells him, no, I don't see anything. And so on the seventh time, the servant came back and he said, I see a small cloud about the size of a man's hand. And so what Elijah does, he goes to King Ahab. And he tells him to get into his chariot and the spirit of the Lord comes upon Elijah and in the blinding rain, as the lightning is flashing, as he girds up his garments in his hands, he runs 18 miles before two speeding horses. And so when he gets to the palace now, At Jezreel, Ahab dismounts from his chariot. Jezebel is looking out of the window that overlooks the courtyard. And as she hears the pounding of the hooves of the horses, she knows that her husband is home. And so the Bible tells us, look at what the Bible tells us in the 19th chapter and verse 1. The Bible says, and Ahab told Jezebel, now notice this, all that Elijah had done. He didn't tell his wife all that Jehovah had done. You see, it wasn't Elijah, it was God. But what she does, what he does now, he tells his wife not the great things that God has done, but he tells her what the prophet has done. And when he told her that he has slain the prophets of Baal, she is magnificent in sin. And so a heart that's hard and unrepentant, she determines then that she's going to put the prophet to death. And so this is what she says. In verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me also and more. Isn't it interesting that she swears by the same God that Elijah proved on Mount Carmel did not exist and were impotent. And so this is a vain threat. But notice now, she says, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, About this time, verse 3, verse 3. And when he saw that, what was it that he saw? What was it that caused the prophet of God to flee? A man who had just come from the blustery heights of Mount Carmel. A man who was fed by ravens for two years. A man who was fed in the house of a widow woman who had an empty barrel and an almost empty cruise of oil. What was it that could cause this man of God who exhibited tremendous courage alone as he stood on Mount Carmel? And now, as he lay outside of the city, you see, when Ahab went in, he took his coat, wrapped himself up, and laid on the ground. 
And so the messenger now comes to him. He arouses the tired prophet from his sleep and he tells him that Jezebel is going to kill him. And the Bible says that when he saw it, what did he see? You see, his expectations were that as Ahab witnessed the tremendous demonstrations of God and he would go back and tell Jezebel that she would be converted, but she wasn't converted. As a matter of fact, she hardened her heart in sin. And so when he saw that, when he saw that, and I want you to notice what he did, when he saw that, he took his eyes off of God. And when he saw that, verse 3, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba. Now he ran from Jezreel to Beersheba. He ran 98 miles. Which belongeth to Judah. Now notice the second mistake that he makes. Number one, he took his eyes off of God. Number two, the Bible says that he left his servant there. Well, let's say number three. Number two, he left his post of duty. Number three, he left his servant in Beersheba. And the Bible says, but he himself, verse four, when a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree. Uh, they generally grew near wadis or little streams of brooks. In a culvert. And they were about 9 to 12 feet high. They had nice yellow white blossoms at the top. And they afforded a little shade from the burning sun. And from the wind. And so he takes a seat under this tree. And listen to what he says. Stinking thinking. <laughs> and he requested for himself that he might die. And said it is enough now O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Depressed now, the prophet. Now, do you think that what Elijah is experiencing is unique to mankind? The answer is no. Because as we sit here in the church today, there are members today here who are depressed spiritually and so the experts tell us that in the United States this day that between the ages of 17 and 75 that 20 million Americans are depressed women are twice as likely to become depressed as men the reason is not because they do but because men are much less likely to talk about it and to get help for it Depression is most likely to afflict those in the upper socioeconomic group. The age that is most susceptible to depression is the 40s and the 50s. And so if you're in your 40s or 50s, look out. <laughs> and so Elijah now is depressed. And notice what he begins to talk about. He begins to tell God that he's had enough. But if we were to examine his case a little more thoroughly, we would discover that when Elijah took his eyes off of the Lord, 
two things. All day on Mount Carmel, no food. And when he ran the 17 miles from Carmel to Jezreel, he was weary. And so when the threat of Jezebel came to him, in that weary, fatigued state, he took his eyes off of God. There is a lesson here for you and I, those of us who profess to be Christians, as we labor for God day in and day out. We need to space ourselves. Do we not? Yes, we do. And so often it's when we fatigue that the devil comes to us with suggestions, suggestions of weariness and depression. And so like the prophet Elijah, listen, we began stinking thinking. (laughs) I remember one day my wife and I came back from prayer meeting. My, as I got out to get the mail, I noticed that my dog had broke loose when I had big dog, shepherd husky mix. And then just before I got in the car, here he comes bounding out of the darkness, and he was about 120 pounds, big dog, and he jumped up in my arms. And I realized immediately that he had just been sprayed by a skunk. And I want to tell you, when I got back in the car with my wife, she still loved me, but it didn't seem as much. And so as the odor permeated the vehicle, when you and I are discouraged, Our thinking is stinking. And I want you to know that stinking faith is stinking thinking is not faith. And so some of us here are on the verge, just like Elijah, of giving up. When all we have to do is to look at our spiritual repertoire. How many times has God blessed us? When you look at your life in the past year, listen. How many times have God blessed us? How many times have God delivered us from danger? How many times when the bills have been due that God has made a way out of nowhere? How many times when the doctor has given us an unfavorable report that God has come through? And so when these feelings of despair brought about by the devil, but not just the devil because we are overworked and tired. Notice now, and hungry for the right food. And I want you to hear me. If you continue to work the way you work without a respite, And you continue to eat the way you eat unhealthily. And you continue not to exercise like you should. You're going to discover that you're going to be in the same condition as Elijah was. And so all the devil has to do 
is to suggest something to you through someone, and before you know it, you'll say the same thing that he did. Lord, it's enough. Take my life. I am not better than my father's. Stinking thinking. And so the first thing that God did, notice now when he's under the juniper tree and with these troubled thoughts in his mind, he falls into a troubled sleep. Now notice what God does. It is God who goes in search of the prophet. But now notice now he's not in the state of mind to receive instruction or correction. And so what God does, he sends an angel. And the Bible says he was the angel of the Lord. And in some instances in the Old Testament, it can read the angel that is the Lord. And whether or not it was the second person of the Godhead in this instance, I don't know. But when he was roused from his sleep, he thought that the enemy had him. And so he awakes with a start from sleep and he looks into eyes that have never sinned. And he looks into the face of an angel. But he doesn't recognize yet that God has not left him. And so what the angel bids him to do is to eat and drink. Because what Elijah needed was not instruction. What he needed was not correction. And so often when the saints of God, you and I, become depressed over whatever, discouraged, our lives are filled with despair. And so some sanctified saint wants to tell us, well, the, <laughs> the, the heart doeth good like a medicine. Listen, I don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> and so when a brother or sister is down, they don't need to hear some sanctimonious saint quoting the Bible. Especially if you don't live the life. And so God gave the prophet what he needed. Number one, he needed rest. Number two, he needed food. But he needed the right kind of food. And so the angel comes the second time. He arouses the prophet and he feeds him again. Now it's interesting in both accounts, Elijah doesn't say anything to the angel. He is still in deep despair. And I've often wondered if I saw an angel when I was at my lowest step, what would I say? He didn't say anything. He looked at the angel, looked at the food, and he ate, and then went to sleep. <laughs> and then the second time the angel awakened him, he said, listen, the journey is too great for you. And so the Bible tells us that Elijah ate the food, and he went in the strength of that meat for 40 days. And so he ran from Beersheba in 40 days. It didn't take 40 days. But he covered an estimated 200 miles. 
Now, it doesn't take 40 days to walk 200 miles. But now notice what God allowed the prophet to do. And you need to understand that when you and I are in depression, God allows us to see the futility in stinking thinking. And so as he wandered in the desert, in the dry, arid waste of the Arabian desert, for 40 days, God doesn't speak to him. And he doesn't speak to God. And so in his mind now, Elijah is wondering, how could I have wound up in the desert when I was on the blustery heights of Mount Carmel? And so finally, he finds himself on the top of Mount Horeb. And what he does, he goes into a cave. And when he goes into the cave, I want you to look at verse 9. And he came thither, the Bible says, unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him. (laughs) He said, what doest thou here, Elijah? I sent you to Ahab to tell him that there would not be rain. I sent you by the brook Cherith. I sent you to the widow of Zarephath. I sent you back to Ahab. But what are you doing here? Now look at verse 10. When we are depressed... Let me tell you more often than not the kind of complex that we get. We get the Messiah complex. Now listen to what he says. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, little old me, even I, only and left And they seek my life to take it away. I'm the only one in the church that practices true health reform. I'm the only one in the church that keeps the Sabbath the way it should be kept. I'm the only one in the church that dresses in modest apparel. I'm the only one in the church who seeks the Lord. Hogwash. And so what's at the foundation of a Messiah complex is pride. Because the only thing that's in what he said in his stinking thinking is I, 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 I. Now notice what God does. He waits a while. And then in verse 11, he says, listen, prophet, he says, go and stand in the mouth of the cave. And so the Bible says, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. Now, just picture in your mind, here you are standing in the mouth of a cave and the power of God 
is so tremendous that those massive rocks that comprise the mountain are just torn in the half. And he can hear the pebbles rolling, cascading down the side of the mountain. And so the Bible says that the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. <laughs> and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And as he stood there, almost thrown off of his feet, the Bible says that God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And the Bible says, after the fire, it says a still, small voice. Now, I, want, I wanted to know, did God say anything to Elijah? Or did Elijah just hear the voice of God? In the Hebrew, this is what it sounds like. And the Bible says that when he heard that, he wrapped his face in his mantle. Now, what was the lesson that God was trying to teach the prophet? You see, Elijah thought that what God was going to do, he was going to manifest himself through his entire ministry the way he did on Mount Carmel. But the Lord says, not so. You see, by a still, small voice, the Spirit of God can accomplish more than rocks renting, a hurricane blowing, or an earthquake trembling. By his Spirit. By his Spirit. By his Spirit. But so often, what we want, we want the Lord to manifest himself through us like we're on Mount Carmel. Yeah, man. All right. And the Lord says, I can do more for the church yeah. through the still small voice than I can great displays of might and power. Yeah. And so notice now what God tells the prophet. He demonstrates to Elijah, number one, that God has everything in control. And so he gives Elijah instructions now how he's going to handle the apostasy of Israel. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. <laughs> if you want to know one of the remedies for depression, when you feel that somehow you've bottomed out in the faith, yeah. it's more ministry. Well, yeah. I remember some years ago. Now, there's a person here who called me a little discouraged because of how things were going. And I told him that what the Lord gives as a reward for labor is more labor. <laughs> and this is what he said then. He said, I don't want to hear that, Mike. <laughs> It might not be what we need to hear, what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. 
And so God tells him now, listen, go on your way. But listen to what the Lord says. He says, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So listen now, God is telling him, listen, you're not the only one. I have other servants who are going to serve me. I want you to anoint them. And then finally, what God tells him is to anoint somebody that's going to take his place. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. There is no record that Elisha killed anybody, but he slayed those with the spirit of his mouth, the Holy Spirit. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And so what the Lord does finally, notice what he does, and I like this. When he told him to anoint Elisha, the Lord was restoring to the prophet a friend. When in despair and depression, who in the church, honestly, can you call? Let me tell you what the experts say about us men. Most men have less than one friend. And then when men get together, we talk about the sorry browns. Other sports, jobs, but men don't talk about emotional issues because men want other men to think that they are in control of their lives. Until we realize the value that God has placed on members of this church, God has placed people here for you and he has placed you here for them. There are at least five or six men here that I can talk to about anything. Anything. And some sisters. Now this coming Tuesday, me and a brother, uh, we're going out for breakfast. And we're going to have a little heart-to-heart, man-to-man talk. And I want to suggest to you, brothers, if you don't have a friend that you can talk to, you need to ask the Lord to send somebody to you. You need to set in place people so that when the times come, when the devil tempts you with stinking thinking, you can talk it out. I got a call from a brother out of town this week, wasn't home. He said, hey, old man, how you doing? And I can't tell you just how good it felt just to hear his voice. Come on, man. 
to know that he was thinking about me and to know that if there was anything on my heart that I need to talk over, I could talk to him about and it's not going to be all over the church. Three times since I've been in this church, when the Holy Spirit has impressed upon my heart to call somebody, these three individuals had sleeping pills in their hand about to take their life. And so if you think that there are not saints in here today who are discouraged about long-term illness, who are discouraged because there's not enough money to pay the bills, who are discouraged because they're unemployed, who are discouraged because there are marriage problems in their marriage, who are discouraged because the children that they raised in the church don't act like it. And so we need each other. We need to establish relationships. And I want to tell you something. Don't always be the one that somebody invites over for dinner. Invite somebody else over for dinner. Just sitting back and just want someone else to do it all for you. When God has given you the wherewithal and you too lazy and cheap to do it. I want to say it because it's important. Too lazy and too cheap. And so if you're depressed, listen to me. You need to schedule rest. You need to schedule recreation. You need to schedule, hear me because it's important. You need to schedule exercise. And there are some of you who are so overworked. Let me tell you what I love to do, and my wife will tell you. In the summer, I like to get in my sports car. And depending on what I want to eat, um, sometimes it might be Chinese. And sometimes I might want to go to Burger King and get a BK veggie. <laughs> <laughs> And some fries. And I want to tell you, you should not be so caught up on health reform that every once in a while you can't enjoy something else. Now listen to me, and you need to know for some of you that stuff that you cook don't taste good. And so, listen, go to the video store and get a good movie and knock yourself out. Always with your nose to the grindstone. Always on the king's business. Listen, away with that foolishness. As Christians, we ought to be balanced. Now, let's look at the reason 
Let's look at the secret of Elijah's power. Let's go back to 1 Kings and let's look at chapter 8. Let's see. Chapter 17. Now, before we read that, I brought the Bible in 26 different translations. And I want to read in James chapter 5, verse 17. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read from about five different translations. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. The TCNT says Elijah was only a man like ourselves. The NEB, New English Bible, says a man with human frailties like our own. The William translation says a man with feelings just like ours. And then the Way translation says a man with a nature similar to ours. And then the BSA, BSA says a man of flesh and blood as we are. And then the Knox translation says a mortal man like ourselves. There was no difference between the prophet Elijah and you and I. But let's look at the secret of his power. <laughs> In chapter 17, there is a solemn adjuration that came off of the lips of the prophet Elijah and his successor Elijah. And these two prophets were the only ones in the Bible with this solemn adjuration. Verse 1, And Elisha the Tishbite, Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, Gilead said unto Ahab, Here it is, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. Elijah, in his mind's eye, saw his life as continually in the presence of God. In addition to that, when he says, before whom I stand, what he is saying is essence, before whom I serve. And so when he confronted King Ahab, what Elijah saw in his mind eye, when he saw the throne, it transcended what he saw as Ahab sat on his throne. And so the secret of the prophet's power was his vision of God. Yes. Now follow me, saints. Our picture in our mind of God is based upon what we have gathered from his word. Yes, yes, if there has been scant gathering, there is a scant image. But what Elijah saw... He saw his problems 
in God, and he saw God in his problems. And so it gave him the confidence that in whatever area he was in his life, because his life was a constant vision of God, that was the source of his power. Now the question, saints, who do you see? And I want to tell you something. If you saw what Elijah saw, we wouldn't be here every Sabbath while the world in this neighborhood is dying. Come on, preacher. You said it right. You said it right. And because there is no vision of God, we come to the house of faith. We get our praise on. We go home, we eat, and we go to bed. While we have a sick list full of folk. Now just think about it. If there's two or three hundred people in here, we could visit the entire sick list every Sabbath. But because there is no vision of God, we cannot say, I am his servant. And so what Elijah heard that was imperative instructions from the mouth of God was to go. And what did he do? He went. But because there is no vision, I have no conception of God and his greatness, I do nothing. And so my vision of God defines who I am. This was the secret of his power. Now in the Bible, we read the books of dead prophets. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto many of the prophets of the Old Testament. But the word of the Lord does not come to you and I like that today. And so what we have to do in order to glean the will of God from his word, we have to study the word. We have to study the word. We have to study the word. And we have to pray. So that the spirit of God can take what's in these pages and translate it into our characters. So that when the evil days come and they will. Because God said it would. Come on, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 14 quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 14. You wonder why you have no faith? You wonder why you can't do great things for God? It's because of his visage in your mind. Or what isn't in your mind? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, what verse? 14. You need to understand that God knew exactly what Elijah was going to do. And God knew that in order to finish his ministry, his faith needed to be strengthened. And so when Jezebel threatened the prophet, the word of the Lord didn't come to him and tell him to hide. 
like the Lord told him to hide by the brook Cherith, the Lord allowed the test to come. And I want to tell you, God will allow the test to come to you and I to make us strong. Now listen at verse 14. The Bible says, in the day of prosperity, be what? It says, but in the day of adversity, consider. When God told the prophet, what doest thou here? God is telling us, consider. Listen to what he says. God also hath set the one over against the other. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to have good days. And you're going to have bad days. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. It's in the will of God. (laughs) If you think all it's going to be is a flowery bed of ease, guess what? You're sadly mistaken because what God is going to do, not only to test us, but to perfect us, he's going to allow adversity to come into our life. And so when adversity comes, it's no time for stinking thinking. It's time for faith. And so there's too much stinking thinking in the church today. What God is looking for, he's looking for men and women of faith. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. God is looking for faithful servants. And so today, saints, if you want to be a faithful servant, if you want to stand before the Lord God of Israel and say, Lord, here am I. I want you to stand with me. (laughs) We need to understand that the time of indolence, saints, is over. And while you and I sleep, what the devil is doing The devil is working in the earth over time to cause the inhabitants of the earth to perish. And listen, the saints that are in the church, he wants to lead them to destruction. Now my first appeal, even though you stood, there might be somebody here today. The Holy Spirit brought you here today to hear this message. Because you're despondent, You're disillusioned. You are discouraged. But I want to tell you, the Lord is speaking to you today. And he's asking you, what doest thou here? (laughs) You see what the Lord wants.